wife were having an argument, what should they name their child? It was their firstborn, a boy, and they're real excited about this, but both the husband and wife were concerned about picking the right name for him. See, they both understood that the name you wear can have a profound influence on your life. It's a big factor in shaping your identity. So picking the right name, it's a big deal. And both this husband and wife had some very strong opinions about what that name should be. Well, since they were both Jewish, they decided to go to the local rabbi and get his advice. So the rabbi sits down with this couple and says, well, what's the problem here? How do I need to help? And the wife spoke up and she said, well, it's pretty simple. He wants to name the boy after his father and I wanna name the boy after my father. So what do, we, what do we do? The rabbi turns to the husband and asks, what's the name of your father, Joseph? He turns to the wife and he asks her the very same question, and what's the name of your father, Joseph? The rabbi's stunned. He's thinking this doesn't make any sense. He says, hey, I, I don't want to sound stupid, but I, I'm not getting this. What's the problem? And once again, the wife speaks up and says, well, his father was a horse thief, but my father was a very religious man. So how can I know that my boy is named after my father, not his? Good question. The rabbi thinks about it for a moment. He says, okay, here's what you do. Call the boy Joseph and then see what he does. Just watch and see what kind of person he becomes. If he turns out to be a horse thief, then you know he wears the name of your husband's father. But if he turns out to be a very religious man, then you know he carries the name of your father. Now here's my point. It's easy to call yourself a Christian. That's a name that means here's somebody who belongs to Jesus. But does that name mean anything to you and mean anything to the people around you? I mean, is it just a title that you wear? Or does that name Christian tell us something about you? Tell us something significant about you and your identity? I mean, can other people see by the way you talk, by the way you spend your money, by the way you drive your car, by the way you listen to your children? You really do belong to Jesus. You've got to understand, Christianity is all about character, virtue, living a very distinctive kind of lifestyle. See, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your mate and still be a phenomenal lawyer. You can spend your entire life in the field of politics and continue to tell lie after lie after lie. You can be a successful salesman and still be an alcoholic on the side. But you can't do any of those things and still, in a legitimate way, refer to yourself as a Christian because someone who really belongs to Jesus, he's going to change you. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change how you live. And that's a lesson that we learn from the book of Proverbs. Now let me explain. The Bible is all about Jesus, meaning that in every book you're going to learn something about him, and you're going to learn something about how he wants to relate to you. In the book of Genesis, we learn that he's our creator. In the book of Exodus, we discover that he's our liberator. In the book of Leviticus, we discover that he is our sacrifice. In the book of Numbers, we learn that he is our guide. In the book of Ruth, we see that he is our redeemer. In the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Chronicles, we see that he is our king. But what about the book of Proverbs? What do we learn about Jesus when we see him in this book? Well, we see that he is our wisdom. You know, so many other parts of the Old Testament, we see Jesus as our prophet, or we can see Jesus as our priest, or we can see Jesus as the divine warrior, the conquering hero. But what about the book of Proverbs? Well, here we see Jesus as our mentor. He's the world's greatest expert on life. He is the smartest person who has ever lived. And you can see that for yourself. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see that there was no one who ever outthought him. 
no one who ever took him by surprise, no one who ever cornered him in a debate. No matter what kind of situation he was in, he was never puzzled or mystified. He always knew exactly what to do. He was always way ahead of everybody else in being able to figure things out. He is the smartest person who has ever lived. And because he is, that means he's the best counselor that any person could ever have for any season of their life. And much of the wisdom that he, likes to be, that he would like to be able to share with us is found in the book of Proverbs. Now, here's... The problem, sometimes we're not, it's not always easy to see that wisdom because we're not always sure how to read the book of Proverbs. <laughs> I heard about a man who'd never read the Bible before, and he'd just been fired, and he was looking for a new job. Well, throughout his life, he'd always heard people talk about how the Bible is the greatest book that's ever been written, so he decided to give it a look. He opens up to the table of contents, and he discovers that there's a, a book titled Job. And he, that kind of piqued his interest. He thought, wow, those people are right. The Bible covers everything you need to know about life. Why, well, it's got a whole book dedicated to the topic of work and how, how to get hired again and how to find the right kind of job. Man, that's exactly what I need. So he quickly turns over to the book of job, hoping to get some kind of wisdom to help him find the right kind of employment. And, of course, he's disappointed. Because as he reads the book, he discovers this, this is really a story about a man named Job who loses everything that he has, and then he spends the rest of the book trying to figure out what is the real meaning of life. It wasn't at all what he had expected. I'm afraid a lot of people have that same impression when they first start to read the book of Proverbs, especially when you get to the second half of that book, chapters 10 to 31, and here you find hundreds and hundreds of these quotes, little mottos, each one a brilliant insight into life, and here's how life in this world works best. But here's the problem. All those mottos just seem random and disconnected. I mean, as you move from one verse to the next, it's like you keep jumping from one topic to the next, and there doesn't seem to be any string, any theme that ties it all together. But there is. And here's the string. Eighty-seven times, 87 times in the book of Proverbs, you will find the name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Now, that, we, we don't always see that. That doesn't always come across because in many of our English Bibles, instead of translating the name, they translate that name as though it's a title. They'll translate it, the Lord. But any time you come across that word Lord, where all four letters, L-O-R-D, are capitalized, know this, it's not a title. That's his name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. It's the name that God uses whenever he wants to draw near, whenever he wants to get really close to us, whenever he wants to enter into a deeply moving friendship with us. So you see, 87 times scattered throughout the book of Proverbs, we are given this reminder that each one of these Proverbs, each one of these pieces of wisdom is being personally delivered to us by God himself. And he shares each piece of wisdom so we can walk with him, so we can enjoy a better life with him, so we can enter into an, a more engaging relationship with him. Here's the picture. And you've heard me use this before. Picture a little girl, and she's standing at the corner of a busy intersection in the heart of downtown Chicago. So here's this little girl, naive, inexperienced, what the book of Proverbs would call the simple one, meaning here's somebody who's gullible, somebody who could easily be taken advantage of. Here's somebody who is unaware of all the dangers that surround her right now, so if she's not careful, she could get herself into all kinds of trouble. And so as we see this little girl standing at the corner of this busy street in the midst of this huge city, immediately we are concerned. But then we notice something. She's not standing there alone. She's got somebody special standing at her side, somebody who knows her well, somebody who cares about her immensely. It's her father, and he is holding tightly 
to her hand. And when we see that, we breathe a sigh of relief because now we know she's not going to be taking this journey alone. And because we know the one who's now standing by her side, now we realize that little girl is going to make it safely across that dangerous intersection. Not only that, now we realize as the two of them take this journey together, the father and the daughter, we realize they're really going to enjoy their time in this big city because the father knows all the right places to go and he knows all the bad places to avoid. That's the book of Proverbs. This is more than just a book. Wisdom is not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus walking at her side, helping us at every intersection of life. Your child comes home with a black eye and what's that all about? Or you're standing out in the backyard talking to your neighbor and there's this huge hole in the fence and how did that come about? You know, what happened here? Or you're trying to figure out how do you get along with the new boss? He is so difficult. How am I gonna make this work? And yet as you encounter every one of those challenges, you realize here's Jesus standing at your side talking to you sharing a piece of wisdom from the book of Proverbs and saying, you know what, in this situation, here's the best way to move forward. Let's look at a proverb. Here's a proverb that kind of summarizes everything that we've been talking about this morning. And this proverb really summarizes what the whole book of Proverbs is all about. It's Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 24. It says, a person's steps are to be directed. This is what we're made for. From Adam and Eve on, and I mean Adam and Eve long before they ever sinned. This is the way they were made. They were never made, never intended to do life by themselves. They were made every moment of every day to get their instructions, their directions, their guidance from God. This is what they were made for. A person's steps should be directed by, and there's that phrase, the Lord. And again, the first time you come across this and you think, okay, title, you know, meet the boss. Here's the CEO of this giant corporation. Most days you won't see him. He's way up yonder in that corner office, off at a distance, kind of hard to get to know. In fact, you're not even sure you want to get to know him. It's kind of intimidating, kind of scary. No, 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 no. It's not what we're talking about here. This is not a title. This is God's name. The name he only uses when he's ready to enter into a covenant with somebody. The name that he uses when he, when he wants to walk with you and be side by side and share every moment of your life with you. This is the God who wants to work with us in a very personal way and personally direct every one of our steps. This is what we were made for. Every person should have their steps directed by God himself. Yahweh. But then you come to the second line of the proverb. What if you choose to leave God out of the picture? What if you say, I'm just going to try it myself? How will life work out? It says, how can anyone understand their own way? How can anyone find the right path? Answer, you won't if you don't have God. Now, let's go back and look at this in a little more detail. In the very first line of the proverb, there's a special word that's being used here. When it says a person's step, this is not your typical Hebrew word, the word you would have expected. The word that talks about humanity in general, the, you know, the average man and woman on the street, Adam, Adam. That's not the word he's using. The word that he uses here is a Hebrew word, gever, and is a word that is sometimes translated mighty warrior. In the world of the Old Testament, it's often used to describe the great soldiers as they march into battle and they lead the rest of the army. And because of the courage and strength they display, they inspire everybody else. Wow, look at him. Look at the way he's fighting. I want to fight like that too. And because of this Gaver, this mighty warrior, because of the heroic things he does, he's the one who ultimately determines whether or not they win or lose that battle. Well, here's a perfect example of that Gaver, that mighty one. It's found in the book of Daniel. There's this man, Nebuchadnezzar. 
He is the greatest soldier in the history of Babylon. Because of him and his leadership skills, he makes Babylon into a world power. He is the mighty one. He towers above everybody else. I mean, you come into the land of Babylon, and it's obvious. Everybody here, they just, they just look up with awe and a sense of admiration at Nebuchadnezzar because of all the amazing things that he has achieved. But this proverb says even those mighty ones have limitations. Even the Nebuchadnezzars of this world are going to find themselves in dilemmas where they're confused and they don't always understand what's going on around them. Even they will not always recognize the best way to go. Even they, these special ones, even they will stumble and fall and make mistakes. So even they, the Gavers, even they, if, they're wanna, if they want to be smart and they want to plan well for the future, they too need to turn to God and have God personally direct their steps. And you remember how that's illustrated for us, Daniel chapter 2? One night, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, one night he wakes up in a sweat. He's had this terrible dream. He knows it's got something to do with him and his kingdom and his future, and yet he can't figure it out. He's bright. He's a brilliant man, but it's all a mystery to him. And it's not until you get to the end of Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar sees only God can reveal the meaning. Only God can show Nebuchadnezzar what the future is really going to be like, and only God can show him the right way to step in. Now, that brings you to the second line of the proverb. If line number one is true, and it is, if the mighty ones, if the kings and the general, if they can't make it on their own, if they need to get their direction from God, what does that say about the rest of us? The second line says, how can anyone, and there's that Hebrew word, Adam. Here we're talking about the common, ordinary man, the average guy in the street. If the big guys can't make it on their own, then know this. The little guys are not going to make it on their own. If the big guys need to get their guidance from God, then know that the rest of us need to get our guidance from him too. And again, look at how this is illustrated in the book of Daniel. Who's the little guy? Daniel. He's the teenager from Judah. See, because the big guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he's all upset. He's had this dream, and he can't figure out. Now he threatens all the little guys, Daniel and his friends, Daniel and all the wise men of, uh, uh, of Babylon. He says, you guys got to come up. You got to figure this out for me, or it's off with your heads. Well, how is Daniel and all the other little ones, how are they going to be able to help the king and tell him what his dream means when the king won't even tell him what the dream is? See, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you're not going to play me for a fool I don't want you just making something up so that I can verify that you really can see into the future and you know exactly what's going to happen. I want you to prove it. Prove that skill by seeing into my mind and tell me, what did I dream the other night? Well, this request he's making is impossible. No human being can do that. So what is this little guy, Daniel, supposed to do? He does the very thing the Bible tells him to do in this proverb. He turns to God for guidance. He comes home, he gathers his friends, they get down on their knees, and they pray. And God reveals the meaning of the dream. And Daniel is quick to point that out. That day when he stands before Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, the mighty one, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to tell you what you dreamed, and then I'm going to tell you what that dream means. But know this, I didn't come up with this on my own. There's no way I could have. Only God can reveal things like that. So what we're learning from this proverb is this, whether you're a big guy or a little guy, whether you're a Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel, everybody needs to get their guidance from God because only God can unravel the mysteries of life and only God knows how to lead you safely through those mysteries. Turning to God for direction, that's wisdom. And that's the kind of wisdom you see throughout the book of Proverbs. Let me wrap it up this way. Genesis chapter 18, we see God coming to visit Abraham. And he does this in a very personal way. He wants to spend time in his home. 
In fact, that day, God literally sits down at the table to share a meal with Abraham. You see, God and Abraham are close. They're friends. They really enjoy each other's company. They love to spend time together. But here's the contrast. When you move from Genesis chapter 18 to chapter 19, you see that God's thinking about doing the same thing with Lot and his family. He's headed down to the city of Sodom. He's got an agenda in mind. But one of the things he's contemplating is visiting with Lot and his family, and yet, ultimately, he doesn't go. He sends two angels instead. And why? Because though God felt at home with Abraham and his family, he didn't feel at home with Lot and his. He didn't feel welcome there. So that raises the question, would God feel at home at your dinner table? Would he find it easy to be a part of your conversation? Would God sense that his presence in your home is something you really enjoy and appreciate? Or would God sense that you're, you feel awkward and embarrassed to, to have him around, that his presence makes you feel uncomfortable? In other words, is it normal for you on a daily basis to walk with God? Do you every day allow Jesus to take you by the hand so that he can mentor you, so that he can make you wise? Or do you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm witty enough, I'm clever enough, I can just figure this all out by myself. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I need the Lord. I am so grateful to have a book like this, the book of Proverbs, where every day I can hear Jesus talking to me. Let's pray. God, we're here because we need you. God, in our own foolishness, we discover again and again when we try to do things on our own, we just mess up. We stumble and fall. We do so much damage to ourselves and to other people. And God, we don't want to do that anymore. We're here today, God, because we need you. We want your guidance. We want your help. God, we want you to shepherd us and take the lead in our lives. We want you to show us the right way to go. God, we want you to share your wisdom with us. And we ask you for that blessing in Jesus' name.